Valley Shepherds exists to equip God's people for effective gospel ministry. Whether you're a pastor, elder, deacon, Sunday school teacher, or church member, our goal is to help you think through the scriptures and apply them faithfully. Valley Shepherds offers a variety of print and digital resources, including articles, Bible study guides, and more. Simply go to valleyshepherds.org to access. You can also access the Valley Shepherds podcast on a variety of streaming platforms, including Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Simply type in Valley Shepherds Podcast into the search bar to access each episode. We release a new episode every week, so don't forget to click the follow button on your favorite streaming platform to receive a notification when a new episode is made available. Finally, you can follow us on social media. On Facebook, go to Valley Shepherds and hit the like button. And on Instagram, go to Valley underscore Shepherds and hit the follow button. Thanks for tuning in. Hey everyone, I want to welcome you to the third episode of Valley Shepherds Podcast. I'm Will Soto. I'm Jamie McClanahan. And we are delighted that you're here with us uh, listening to us. And uh, I think we're going to have a pretty interesting discussion here in the next few moments. Uh, just as a reminder, uh, you can access Valley Shepherds Podcast in a variety of ways. Uh, you can go to the Valley Shepherds website. That's valleyshepherds.org. Uh, go down to the multimedia tab, and there you'll find uh, the podcast audio. Um, but we're also streaming on a variety of platforms. So if you like Spotify, Google, Google Podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts, whatever it is, uh, you can access Valley Shepherds uh, that way. Just make sure you type in Valley Shepherds Podcast into the search bar, and uh, it, it should come up. And so um, we're, we're glad that you're here, and um, we're going to actually be discussing theological triage, and this will be a two-part episode. So part one, we'll talk a little bit about what theological triage is, uh, why it matters, and some of the details involved in that. And then next week, we'll talk a little bit about how the church historically has uh, sort of applied this idea of triage, separating out uh, primary doctrines from secondary doctrines to uh, tertiary doctrines, and uh, how that connects to us here, 21st century, 2021, and how God's people can really anchor themselves uh, both to the Word and to the larger confession of faith that we have as a, as a corporate uh, sort of Catholic lowercase c church. And so um, I'm going to turn it over uh, to my co-host and a good friend and ministry partner, uh, Jamie. He's going to talk a little bit about what theological triage is, and uh, we'll dive in from there. Yeah, so that's a great uh, question, because if you hear that, you might be thinking that you're not going to understand or may not be interested in listening to this uh, podcast. But I can assure you that theological triage just, it really means what hills are you willing to die on theologically? Uh, in terms of, of ministry, in terms of leadership, in terms of local church life, and really in terms of cooperation with others, right. uh, other believers and other churches. If you are a member of a local church and your church uh, does things with other churches, if you are a local church pastor and you are uh, uh, doing missionary endeavors, um, outreach endeavors, or discipleship endeavors, you know, there's always that question of what do we agree on? And what do we not agree on? That's right. And why is that important? And so that's really where we, we come to with this discussion on 
theological triage and church cooperation. Um, and you know, this is not a term that you know me and Pastor Will made up. Um, Al Mohler is pretty well known for coining this term or these uh, these words together, and he has a great article on it um, on his website called Theological Triage and Christian Maturity. Mm-hmm. And Gavin Ortland also has a book that has a, a great uh, look at what theological triage is. How do we categorize our theology of you know primary to uh, tertiary, those kind of things? How do we see it uh, as what is most important and what is least important? Um, so uh, th- there's a lot of great resources out there, and we'll have some things attached to uh, our podcast and, and to the website that will help you dig in a little bit more if you want uh, more of a definition of, uh, of what that is. Uh, That's right. I guess when we think of theological triage, we have to strip away the theological and perhaps just come and say, what does triage yeah, mean? Yeah, that's a good point. And how is this uh, most likely applied in our world? And so it's a <laughs> triage is a French word, and it means to sort things, okay? So applied to a medical setting, um, you would have a triage officer that would be in a, a hospital complex or an ER or with some kind of emergency response unit, and that person would come on to the scene or people would be brought to them and they would have to make a decision as to what patient is most urgent in need. So you might have someone who has a a broken finger, but then you have someone who is uh, internally bleeding. Obviously, even though the person with the broken finger might be screaming and whatever, um, the person with the internal injuries, right. they're the ones that need the, the treatment the greatest. They need the attention. Um, they need the focus. And so when we apply this to local church, when we apply this to local church leadership, what we're saying is that we need to have a triage for what issues, what doctrines are most important in terms of our um, uh, our our health as a, as a local church, but also in terms of of what we can do and what we shouldn't do, of how we relate to other believers, how we relate to other churches. Um, and so, you know, I guess uh, in thinking of this, Pastor Will, um, we have to kind of admit that um, that all doctrines that we find in the Scripture, even though there is an equal weight or an equal measure to them, not all of them hold the same significance. Yeah. And they're really interrelated as well. <clears throat> And so our temptation is to kind of see it even through our own pet theological beliefs of, well, this is what I think is most important, and so this is what you should think yeah. is most important. And so we can operate in the extremes of saying nothing is important, let's just all love, right? Or we can uh, make everything a primary theological issue and, and in doing so disagree on everything. Yeah. Um, so there are folks who have tried to help uh, create categories for how we operate um, within theological triage, within cooperation. One fellow's name was Rupertus Meldinius. Rupertus Meldinius, how about that for a name? <laughs> and he lived in 627, 1627. And he's coined for this uh, really incredible statement that he wrote as a, a gospel track on unity. And he says this, in essentials... Unity in non-essentials, liberty in all things, charity, and that statement can be helpful as we begin to think about 
how do we triage theology as most important and least important? And least important doesn't mean these things are just not important at all. That's right. It's just saying least important um, for us to be able to carry out the work that God has put before us. And so um, I just, uh, I guess, Pastor Will, I'll, I'll see what your thoughts are on Rupertus' statements, <laughs> and then and then maybe talk a little bit about how we can practic- uh, practically implement um, theological triage in our lives and ministry. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, hearing that in Essentials Unity and Non-Essentials Liberty and All Things Charity, I think it reminds me that unity as believers is not uniformity, that, yeah. you know, each of us is is created uniquely and brought together under the banner of, of faith in Christ, right? And that's our that's our point of unity. But the expression of that is going to look different from maybe from person to person, certainly from church to church, uh, denomination to denomination. And so I think it, it it really requires us to be able to sift out those doctrines that are essential, primary, maybe even what we would say is, you know, first rank sort of mm-hmm. doctrines versus secondary and tertiary. You know, we, we have a phrase um, that we use, you know, don't make mountains out of molehills. Yeah. And I, I know when I was a, definitely in seminary and sort of learning as a young believer, maybe even as a young pastor, I was, uh, I, was, I was intemperate in how I approached certain things because for me, it was hard to, dis- to discern yeah. the mountains from the molehills. What, what doctrinal issues, what conversations are molehills, those things that are, that are maybe not the most important but are still important, and those things which were hills to die in. And, and I have to say that when it comes to that sort of idea, there are not a whole lot of hills to die on. There, there are the ones that are, the, the doctrinal issues that are hills to die on right. are of primary significance. And frankly, they're the ones that separate us as Christians from the world, from ideologies and religions and you know ways of function. So I think it's important for us to at least grasp that idea right. that unity is not uniformity. Mm-hmm. I don't know a single... Pastor or author, book I've read, sermon I've listened to, where I've agreed a hundred percent, a hundred percent of the time, <laughs> you know. And so, knowing that, I can't then turn around and expect someone else who's listening or reading something I've written or said to agree with me a hundred percent, a hundred percent of the time. Right. And so, it forces us into a space of humility more than arrogance or theological pride, where I know better and you you know less or worse or not at all, mm-hmm. right? And so. How do we begin to practically implement or consider theological triage, its significance? Where, where, what's a starting point? I think if you look at it in terms of a pyramid, that might be some help, right? You take the pyramid and you divide it into three sectors, right. and at the top you have the smallest part of the pyramid. That's where the primary doctrines would go, the first rank, sort of first order. Mm-hmm. My kids are Star Wars fans. <laughs> first order sort of doctrines, right? This is light side, not dark side. So, you know, that's where the, the essentials of the faith go in, right? And then the, the second part, those are the secondary doctrines. Those are, are, are things that maybe don't rise to the level of essential, but are still right. super important for how we function as a denomination. That might be denominational identity issues, that kind of thing, how we worship issues of conscience, then the tertiary issues are things where maybe even within interdenominational, a one SBC church or one Presbyterian church might disagree in practice. You know, things like um, you know musical instruments on stage. We might agree that worship is essential, and how we do that might vary from context to context. And so, looking at it that way. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through uh, 
sort of the primary, secondary, tertiary ideas, and we'll just go okay. with some back and forth and okay. uh, sort of engage in some in some conversation. So, how do we think? Okay, primary issues, right? First ranked sort of issues are those issues that relate to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are central. They are the core. Maybe we would even say the heart of the Christian faith, the Christian ethic. Right. Um, if we were to take one of those doctrines away, mm-hmm. Christianity, what we have is not Christianity. Mm-hmm. It might be something else. It might have a semblance of it. It might sound similar to, yeah. but it certainly is not Christianity as, as revealed in God's Word and as it should be expressed among God's people. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about maybe what some of those doctrines are? Yeah, so uh, I would say you know, as we consider um, that first uh, tier, that first category, um, these are going to be things that are essential to the gospel message. Mm. And so um, we could say that substitutionary atonement of, of, of Christ, the Trinity, uh, the deity of Jesus, um, the humanity of Christ, uh, so the authority of Scripture. If I, if I stop there, really we're, we're looking at, even in the early church, these are things that were kind of fought over and pushed and pulled. Mm-hmm. Rightfully so, uh, they needed to establish... Um, these issues as primary, as first rank, okay? They were worth the fight in the early church, marking kind of this fault line between the gospel and rival yeah. worldviews, rival religions. And so we, we, we need these. We need to be willing to fight for justification by faith. And Martin Luther was right in posting his thesis on the wall yeah. um, and standing before uh, the, the Vatican councils and all these different groups and, and defending the faith and digging in, um, we need to be willing to do that. Now, I mean, we, we do that in love. We're, we're not hateful about the way that we defend primary issues. But when it comes to that, this is, um, this is, really, um, this is really important for us because what we're looking at, these are essential doctrines to the gospel message, authority of scriptures. You know, in the past 50 years, that has come under attack. I think that will always be a primary issue because out of that flows the inerrancy of scriptures, the inspiration of, of, of scriptures. Um, you have you have a central issue there, uh, a foundational issue to our faith that we've got to fight for. So first rank issues, primary issues, Man, they are just absolutely essential yeah, for, for sure. us to grasp. Doctrines that are essential to the gospel are worth grappling over, are worth fighting for. Um, and if you are in a church or in a denomination uh, where people are grappling over those things, it's definitely something to have a red flag over, um, something that you need to talk with your pastor or find some counsel um, because you don't want to compromise on those kind of issues. So if yeah. we were looking at the medical person again coming into the hospital or, uh, or uh, being on site in the emergency response, um, this would be someone who would say, this is sober, this is important, this is heavy, mm-hmm. this is number one priority. <clears throat> Um, and then we go to, to secondary after that. But what do you what do you think about? It? Yeah, I think I think that's right. You know, when we say things like uh, you know, their their ideas and, and doctrines that are essential to the gospel, I think it's important to clarify that the gospel, uh, as it's revealed in Scripture, is that a human being, a sinful person, is saved on the basis of faith in Christ, that's right. not on the basis of our 
heritage or our upbringing or our experiences or our own goodness, right? We're not dependent upon ourselves uh, to work our way or to earn our salvation in God's sight, right? We're not approved on our basis solely. And so when we when we consider those doctrines that affect the gospel, we have to consider that to remove certain doctrines actually removes the idea that we're saved on the basis of faith in Christ, right? So things like, you know, when you when you read in Scripture, Abraham was believed God, it was credited as righteousness. When you see, um, who is it? Uh, Simon Peter, you know, yeah. who, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter says, you're the, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, right? There's a confession of faith there that, that exudes this trust and dependence on the person and work of Jesus for salvation. That's right. So to remove anything that would, that would hinder that really is a primary issue. It's the essential issue. Now, I, you know, we use the, the idea that the statement, or I've heard it said, you know, test of fellowship, right? Yeah. And, um, Usually when I've heard it, it's always, you know, well, if you don't believe this, that's a that's a line in the sand, a test of fellowship. We can't be, we're not brothers in Christ. And I think we need to be careful that we don't just toss those that idea out there or levy that accusation or charge against another brother or sister just because they think differently than we do yeah. on issues that don't affect the gospel, that don't yeah. affect salvation, justification by faith in Christ, right? Yeah, and you have to apply the discernment to it. You, you can't make a primary issue a secondary issue or have a, a, a secondary issue um, be a primary. And again, that's the, the balance of the latter is that for some folks, um, everything is a primary issue. There are no secondary issues. Um, yeah. Or everything is a tertiary issue. There's no primary issue. Yeah. Um, so when we apply this to... Um, this this first tier of, of, of triage, and we say, okay, these are doctrines essential for the gospel. When we apply this to cooperation mm-hmm. or fellowship with other brothers and sisters in Christ, it means that I can have fellowship with, I, I, I can serve with, I can, I can do a, a revival service with, I can um, do an outreach with folks who um, might go to a different church. Yeah, that's me, a good point. And they might have a different denomination than me. Um, they might practice things a little bit differently, but because we have an agreement in the essentials of the gospel, that's right. We can do kingdom work together. That's right. I think in uh, in very specific ways. I think it, it it legitimately means that you know we uh, Pastor Jamie and I we serve in a Southern Baptist church, a you know conservative Southern Baptist church, but that that does not mean that we can't in good faith and good conscience for the sake of the kingdom minister and serve and work alongside uh, Presbyterians and Pentecostals and even Methodists, right? I mean, just across the denominational platforms or spectrum, as long as we have gospel unity. And again, the gospel being that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ, not of our own works, but as God's gift to us, right, in His Son. And so I think we need to remember that. Yeah, I think so too. You know, know, ways that we have been able to engage this first tier in cooperation with other churches at Wayne Hills is, you know, we participated in area-wide revivals. Um, we've done area-wide outreaches. That's right. That's um, right. Even the Valley Shepherds is geared not just for those in our denomination, but for other, you know, brothers and sisters who share that affinity of essential uh, doctrines of the gospel. That's right. right? Uh, if we were to go to their church on Sunday, there'd be some things that they do very different than us. Yeah, for uh, sure. But that's okay. 
And that's where we come back to Rupertus Maldinius, is that there must be liberty that's right. in some of these things. And obviously, we need to have charity, love, that is the parenthesis around all of them. Uh, and so yeah. so this, uh, this idea of primary is important when it comes to you understanding what is essential to the gospel. Yeah, but it's absolutely. also important as you consider cooperation, that you can cooperate and do incredible works with other believers in other churches, um, whether you're leading as a local church pastor or a member of a church or you're listening into this, there's much that we can do. That's right. And then we come to secondary, and we have to acknowledge that um, it's not that the secondary um, uh, issues or the secondary um, uh, theological triage area, it's not that they're not important. It's just that they're not essential to the gospel. That's right. Like those primary issues are. These are urgent for the health and practice of a local church, right? Sometimes um, we would see this in autonomous local churches or um, denominational gatherings of churches. Um, so, so we do have differences, um, but that's good and that's fine and that's okay. So, Pastor Will, I mean, take it away, these secondary issues and... And kind yeah. of what they are, and maybe we can talk about some examples. Um, they're called second-rank doctrines. I don't necessarily like that description, but they are secondary to the primary. Yeah. So I, w- I would say they're. Uh, this is just a word that I have in my own head. Is you know they're supplemental doctrines. So they're they're not unimportant, right? They have their place and their their position, but they're in in terms of relationship to primary doctrines, they're, they're supplemental, right? They, they offer maybe more guidance and wisdom in terms of practice and, and, and thought. Uh, so secondary issues, supplemental issues, second-rank issues, however you, you process that idea, um, is the, the concept that believers can disagree um, on, on these kinds of doctrines, and that those disagreements, because they're not on primary issues, don't cause disunity, right? Yeah. We can agree to disagree in a very real sense in terms of how we think through an issue and even how we practice an issue, um, but there's charity and love that's extended mm-hmm. within that disagreement. I think of uh, Paul and Barnabas and their disagreement over uh, John Mark, right? Yeah. There's this, this angst and this tension because right. they don't, they're coming to one singular issue. They, they can't see eye to eye. They mm-hmm. can't work it out in any, any way that would force them or cause them to walk together, right. but at no point do either Paul or Barnabas become uncharitable with one another yeah. and accuse each other of heresy sure. or being a you know a, a wolf in sheep's clothing? There's a disagreement, and they go their separate ways. And frankly, the kingdom is actually better for it because now twice the amount of work can get done through each of their ministries, right? And I think there's some wisdom in there for us to really grasp onto to say, all right, we're a Southern Baptist, right? We serve in a Southern Baptist, conservative Southern Baptist church. We may have some friends that... Right. Uh, you know, that are ministering and serving and worshiping here. They may have some ideas that are along a different side of the spectrum, but there can be charity extended because, well, we agree on the primary issue of faith in Christ, right? Jesus is central, his virgin birth. Those ideas are central to their identity. Maybe not their practice to a degree, depending on what we're talking about. So just a couple of quick thoughts on secondary issues. And I realize some folks may say, well, that's a primary issue, but that's why we're having the discussion. Yeah, and that's where, right. you know, this secondary, uh, we uh, we recognize even some of the things that we're saying are secondary. You may disagree with Yeah, them, for sure. <laughs> these are things that as we've thought and as we've read and as we've considered that we believe they are uh, secondary. 
Um, so the, it, it could be modes of, of baptism, yeah. uh, modes of the Lord's Supper. Uh, churches do that differently. Um, the church governance, um, um, every even every Southern Baptist church seems to have a flexibility and practical sort of application in church governance. Um, and uh, so those are those are some. Now some of those go back. Baptism and the Lord's Supper have uh, historically been issues where there has been controversy, um, but yet churches do that differently, right? That's right. Not only do it differently in frequency, some churches take the Lord's Supper every week. That's right. Um, but there are some who practice it differently. There are some Reformed churches that have a um, have a different view of communion than those who are Southern Baptists, mm-hmm. right? And so there there has to be this room for uh, liberty and charity with those kinds of things. And so, um, right. And so so when it comes to uh, even when it comes to cooperation, uh, we've got to consider that um, that for those who would join the church that we're pastors at, Wayne Hills Baptist Church, you would have to agree to some secondary things of the ways that we right. operate, the ways that we do things, the ways that we're governed, the way in the way that we view the Lord's Supper as a, as a memorial and and baptism through immersion, right? Uh, Post conversion, you would have to agree right. to those things to be a part of Wayne Hills Baptist Church. It doesn't mean that I can't have fellowship with another believer in Christ who holds a different view than I do That's in right. the secondary realm. But if uh, if I were to hold a uh, baptism or ordinance class with uh, a church that did things differently, that would not go over real well. Right. There would be conflict. There would be tension. But that same church, we could do a revival together, or we could That's do right. an area outreach together, or we could do a feed the hungry um, outreach, or some kind of thing like that, um, or even get together for prayer and worship. But we're going to have some differences, and that's... Um, and that's okay um, to have those kinds of differences. They shouldn't be the things that divide us, um, and uh, oftentimes they do divide. Yeah, I think the you know the secondary issues allow uh, any group of people to worship in good conscience and good faith, right? So you know, being a, a Southern Baptist, a pastor in a Southern Baptist church, uh, we have very specific ideas on the the mode of baptism, right? We we practice baptism by immersion. For believers, right? right? I have uh, some good Presbyterian friends who they practice uh, pedo baptism, infant baptism. The significance and symbolism is different. The practice is different. The convictions are different. But there's still this this charity extended because it's not a primary issue. It's not an issue that affects our understanding of who Christ is and what Christ did. Right. Um, it becomes a pra- an issue of practice. How do we function within those yeah. truths, and how do we? Worship in good faith and you know and in good conscience, and so those secondary uh, issues, you know, baptism, Lord's Supper. I remember, uh, you know, the last mission trip I took was 2016, summer 2016. We took a bunch of students to Macau, China, to do some Bible distribution. And the Sunday that we were there, uh, we opted to not go to a Southern Baptist church in China. We went to an Anglican church. Okay. The pastor of the Anglican church was an Irish guy who rapped American music as his sermon, as part of his homily, right? But in an Anglican church, they t- it, was, it was interesting. It was, a, it was and, you know, to sit there with, you know, 15 and 16-year-old students who already had culture shock. This was like something unheard of, right? But in an Anglican church, they take communion every week. So the, the, the frequency of, of communion was different denominally, denominationally for them. But the way they took it was also different. We took it from, and we couldn't do this in 
COVID times, we took it from one cup. So it wasn't individual little, you know, little cups of, of grape juice. And it was real wine. And so we, you know, each person, they went up and they received, uh, you know, the, the wafer and it was placed on their tongue. And then they, they, we each drank from the chalice. The chalice was wiped down. And so that was different, right? That was a, that was a situation where we were familiar with the concept of the Lord's Supper. We even to a degree agreed on what it symbolized and what it represented, but the way we went about it was completely different than what we would have done on a Sunday morning in a Baptist church in Virginia, right? And so... There was still unity, though, because we recognized that we're able to worship in good faith and conscience because we agree that this represents body and blood, broken and shed for us, yeah. right? And we've received that in faith, right? You know, yeah. So, I mean, if we want to, uh, man, if we want to kind of hit some fire button issues, uh, which we don't necessarily <laughs> want to, but in the secondary realm, in most of what uh, we have studied and we have leaned into. Uh, some of those additional issues might be uh, what version of the Bible yeah, uh, do good. you uh, preach out of or teach out of um, complementarianism versus egalitarian? Yep. Who serves in a church staff? Who just, who serves as a pastor, a minister, men, women? Those kind of things play into yep. it uh, as well. Roles um, of deacons and elders, yeah. is what, what the separating line is. What some, the relationship yeah, is. All and, of those things. Yeah, so there's got to be some freedom with uh, within those realms, um, so uh, you know, uh, we we've got to have liberty extended towards brothers and sisters in Christ. That's right. And then we've got to be able to to extend that um, that unity towards them as we can. Um, so I think you just apply some discernment to this as well. Uh, it can lead to divisiveness, confusion, and violations of conscience <laughs> if we aren't sensitive to the secondary issues That's right. of, of other believers. That's right. And believers in our church, but others uh, others who are outside of our church and other denominations. Um, I, I want to I give an example here of the Lord's Supper, which sort of has a, um, a dualness to it. Um, so uh, there is a denomination, large, right, historic Roman Catholic, who believes that the priest performs the ceremony over the bread and over the cup and actually transforms it into the body and the blood of mm-hmm. Jesus. This is what is believed, right. right? And that cleanses a person from sin. Um, that is a primary issue for, for, for me, and I would assume you, because we don't believe that that is the way that justification happens. Right. So that would be a way that I would say... That's a fault line. I would have to take a stand That's and right. say, I I can't agree with that. That's right. You know? And so, but on the other side, with the Lord's Supper, you have, in the secondary, you have believers who, um, they may use real wine or they may use grape juice. That's um, right. They may have once a week. They may have once a quarter. Um, they may believe there is a special presence that is there um, when communion is taken, they may believe it is merely a memorial that takes place. And so there's got to be some freedom given in the secondary. But in the primary, I would say if it was a communion that was geared towards um, leading people to believing that their sins are forgiven if they're taking it, that that is a dangerous thing um, yeah. to, to put as as a as a, a primary thing. Yeah, I think you know, within any any doctrinal issue you have the the sort of the bookends of legalism and sort of licentiousness this, you know, overextension of freedom. Well, you know, we could do what we want and you know, the Lord is honored as long as we're doing it with the right sense of heart. And I th- I think what we what we also need to say is that 
for whether it's primary, secondary, tertiary, the scriptures really are the the guide, right, that help us understand and not just the idea, but also the practice. Where I would say the dividing line between the two scripturally is that primary issues tend to have a pretty hard and fast address, right? Chapter, book, verse. We can go to specific portions. So like when we say, you know, we're saved by grace through faith in Christ, we can go to Ephesians 2 and see that expressed, right? When we talk about secondary issues, we may be looking not so much at specific, you know, addresses, chapter, book, verse. We might actually be looking at patterns. We might be looking at, well, okay, so the Lord's Supper in John 13 is instituted, right? pre crucifixion, pre-sacrifice of Christ, but it's extended post-salvation mm-hmm. to believers. And that that pattern might govern the way that we understand how we as a church in the 21st century might might operate, right? Sure. We see in the pattern of, of, you know, Acts that those who believed were then baptized, and they might have even been baptized in a very specific way. And so for, for us as Baptists, that, that might or should govern the way that we think about and then ultimately apply some of those those patterns and ideas. So I, I want us to be clear that we're not saying that all of these secondary issues are just left up to a matter of conscience and your preference, as much as we're saying that where we look at a, a portions or patterns of Scripture, there might be some differences in interpretation and practice, and there needs to be some extension of grace within that that disagreement. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a that's a great word. I think as we we think about uh, the movement of primary to secondary. And then we have another movement of secondary yeah. to tertiary, uh, and the last category is called idephora. I can't even say. That. <laughs> I'll let you. I'll let you Idephora. go for it. <laughs> indifference. It's an indifferent category. It's too big of a word for me right now. Um, anyway, so, uh, so we have the the third category is tertiary issues. Believers may disagree and remain in close fellowship, even with their congregation or their denomination. Yeah. Um, so um, an example that's given of this is eschatology, right? Um, how do you vol- view the millennial reign of Jesus Christ? Right. right. Um, are you uh, someone who is a pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, whatever it might be? Right. So it's just an example of an issue that is third removed. Now, here's the deal. We know as we're studying this, as we're leaning into it, that this is the category where um, these scholars, these thinkers, the, these pastors put this as a category. But for many people, this is a primary Ooh. issue, right? If yeah. you don't agree with me on on A, B, C, D, E, and F, in the order, in the way, as I have interpreted in the book of Revelation or from Daniel Revelation, right. we can't be friends. Yeah, And it's just, it's always seemed bizarre to me. Um, and I grew up in an independent fundamentalist background where it seemed like there were some in that camp who, I mean, they might as well have written Revelation because they knew it better than John, <laughs> you know? Uh, and so they had it all figured out with all their charts and maps exactly how everything is going to happen. And um, so, but this issue has got to, this example of tertiary issue has got to allow for freedom and and liberty i mean we yeah. we would agree i think that jesus that jesus is coming back that there's going to be a return and a restoration um but there's got to be some freedom for nuance in that example yeah and there's other examples but what do you what do you think about it oh it's a good that's a good example the eschatology you know debate issue is, is a really good example for 
the idea of tertiary, of it being a tertiary. But even within the concept of eschatology, there's a primary issue in there, right? It's true. Because the primary issue is that Jesus is coming yeah, back. Right. The second coming is an essential part of our, our faith, right? Yeah. We believe in a bodily resurrection, a literal bodily resurrection, and a second coming. And so there's this is a good good way to sort of navigate from primary. How do we move from primary, second coming is true, to tertiary, what does that look like, right? That's that's yeah. the and you use the right. word nuance, and I think that's that's if if there was one word you zeroed in on in all of this, it's that idea of nuance that as God's people, because we think differently, because we may even come to the scriptures uh, with a different set of ideas and understandings and and what we draw away from it, I think there needs to be a, a large sense of grace here, mm. right? That we walk in. Um, I remember years ago when I was. Uh, sort of looking for ministry openings in different places. I remember uh, as part of the qualifications for to go to a specific church. This was in uh, this was in Chicago, right outside of Chicago. Um, they had listed. It wasn't just you know preaching, teaching, call, gift, qualif- all those things. It was you have to believe in a, a premillennial sort of a view, dispensational view of of the second coming. And they made it a, not just a test of fellowship for. Uh, for membership, they made it a test of fellowship for their staff, right? And so I remember going through some of those initial conversations and saying, well, where does this rank in in importance for you as a church, right, within your context? And they said, look, we, we had a guy come in who we were thinking about having as an interim, you know, a, sort of a pulpit supply, and yeah. he didn't agree with, you know, with our view of it, and uh, we asked him not to come back. And I thought, well, I'm still working some of these ideas out. Right, right. And even what I what I am convinced of there's some wiggle room within those that convinced I right those convictions and those ideas right. because I think when we talk about tertiary issues, what we're really zeroing in on is that some of this is mysterious. There's a right soteriology, our view of salvation, right? The fact that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ, primary issue. How the Lord, Titus three, how the Spirit regenerates us and cleanses us, and how we're justified and made righteous, right? Mm-hmm. There's some mystery attached to that, right? And I think as as leaders, even as God's people who are discipling and, and, and evangelizing, I think we need to, one, be content with the mystery of it, to know that there's a tension, we don't have all the answers, right. but then also to teach and to lead and to shepherd, not from the mystery, but from the certainty. Does that make sense? It, yeah. So the mystery being, are we, you know... It, do we, you know, is, is faith a gift given to us or is faith exercised out of our free will? Look, there, there's a mystery attached to it. The certainty is that God saves those who trust. Right. Right. And so rather than shepherding from the mystery and trying to figure out all the nuance and really to a degree, maybe doing some harm to, to the lives of the spiritual lives of the sheep that you're entrusted with. Yeah. We lead and minister and preach and teach from the certainty of what God has given to us out of the primary. Yeah, I mean the the, the tertiary <clears throat> issues. I mean, I think um, I think I, I think prayer reveals a lot uh, as far as the difference between secondary and tertiary, as well. Uh, you know, the other aspect of this is uh, when we think about cooperation with others in terms of tertiary. It should not be an issue. Uh, at all. I mean, uh, you can have a different view of the millennium than I do, and we can serve on staff together at a church, right? It might be difficult to teach a class on Revelation if we have uh, differing views on that, 
But that's not going to be something that prevents fellowship. That's not going to be something. That's right. That, that's not something that's going to prevent us from being members at the same church. That's right. It shouldn't. Uh, and so I, I think the difference in the differentiation is so very important. Um, so the, the last one, and we're, we're, we're wrapping things up with part one of this discussion. We'll have part two next week. Or we'll move further into kind of thinking through examples and church history yeah. of how these things have been worked out, how to avoid the extremes of these as well. Uh, but the last one is, I'm just going to say things in different. <laughs> since I can't say I could, it. I could try my hand at that word. I won't. A diaphora, <laughs> right. It's a Greek word, and I, and I just have a hard time saying it. I need to just have Google say it for us here. But, uh, <laughs> But really, it's it's things indifference. So these are our fourth ranked issues, right? And so they are. Um, it's not that they have no importance. It's just they do have lesser significance. In some yeah, ways. for sure. And so perhaps that would be uh, in in terms of a diaphora. Uh, I said it. Um, it would be <laughs> you weren't thinking like about it. That's why musical <laughs> instrumentation. Yeah, that's good. Maybe even music style, we would say. But uh, as an example, these things yeah. are least removed. Um, I can have fellowship with a brother if he likes to hear uh, someone leading on a yeah. guitar, and I like to hear a piano. If he likes southern gospel and I like bluegrass, That's right. uh, in bluegrass gospel, like we can have friendship and connection there. So yep. it's a fourth category, four times removed. It's the least significant uh, we certainly can have liberty and uh, show each other a, a great deal of grace in in those things. That's so, right. So, I mean, those are really the the, the, the the three categories Al Mueller gives, but I put a fourth one on there, and the fourth one is from um, Ortland's book that I've Gavin Ortland's book, Finding the Right Hills to Die On. He has four categories. Mueller has three. Um, Mueller's first three are are incredibly similar to Ortland's, and so um, that's where we get kind of the four categories of looking at this. Um, so we think it's helpful um, as you consider what you believe, but we also think it's important and, and helpful as you relate to other believers outside of your church. That's right. Um, and also as you relate to believers inside of your church. There are so many things that we can agree on. That's right. We don't need to allow secondary and tertiary and, and a diaphora <laughs> <laughs> issues to to divide us. Oh, right? I, I agree. So, I agree. And I, th- I think, you know, for if you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, I'm not a church, I'm not a church leader, I'm not a pastor, an elder, you know. Um, but I'm interested, or I lead a discipleship group, or I'm interested in leading a discipleship group. I, th- I think there's some helpful things here because um, whenever you're in a, in, a, in a teaching role or a discipleship role or a mentoring role, whatever it is, I think we have to be mindful that we w- we speak the truth in love, yeah. right? We don't just speak truth because right. in, in ourselves that can be harsh and that can have teeth. Right. And we don't just operate in love because that tends to be toothless, right? We, we don't have the meat of the truth. So I think to speak the truth in love allows us to walk in between those two poles and those extremes so that when we disciple and when we come up across a point of disagreement, we can engage in a helpful sort of healthy interaction and discussion. Even if at the end of that, we say, you know what, we just need to dis- agree to disagree. Or we say, hey, I need to do some more research, or I need to maybe read some more things, or really expose myself to some other ideas and thoughts, whatever it is. Um, but all of that requires a, a, an incredible amount of grace right. 
and a willingness to walk in the Spirit and to really petition the Lord to soften our hearts so that we can we can push and pull against each other. You know, as I, as I was as uh, Pastor Jamie was talking, I was reminded of First Timothy one. Uh, Paul says in verse five, "But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart yeah. and a good conscience and a sincere faith." That's right. Some men straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussion, mm-hmm. wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters which they make confident assertions. And I think that's a good, those are, that's a good guardrail verse for us yeah, as is. we serve and as we minister, as we lead to say, God has given us some things with certainty. Yeah. And we rest in those things and we operate and we minister from, from those truths. But there are some things the Lord in his providence and in his, in his, you know, his sovereignty has chosen not to reveal those things to us. And yeah, we can speculate and we should discuss and we should explore, but we, don't, we should also be content that the Lord in due season and due time will reveal all things fully. Yeah. And so for us as God's people, that gives us a place to really walk side by side yeah. in unity, not in disunity, together, not apart. Right. And I think as we, we consider the landscape of our of churches and church life in America, where we're at, um, I think this, um, this, this, these categories, these first rank, second rank, third rank, fourth rank, is so important um, because there's going to be a shift in the next few decades, probably in the next decade, of what this looks like, where um, the the secular church or the church that is um, not as much about the gospel, right, uh, is going to tend to push back on the primary issues and make them less and less and less. Uh, and we're going to see a lot of extremes. Yeah. Um, I think there's going to be churches that will operate more in extreme on one end or the other instead of having still maintaining a scriptural balance of, of That's right. what is essential to the gospel and what is not. That's right. Um, so the next podcast will be addressing that, and we will be even looking to church history where... Um, Christians uh, got into a pattern of killing each other over secondary issues. Yeah, which and, sounds extreme, but is true. Yeah. I mean, historically true, you know. Um, and I think the uh, the part two ties in some of the historical creeds and confessions. Uh, and the goal is to not just highlight those things, but also make the connection to the relevancy here, 21st century, yeah. 2021. So that's it. That was our uh, our quick 45-minute talk, uh, discussion on uh, theological triage. We hope it's been helpful. Um, as always, if you have questions or, or there's uh, things that come up that you want to know more about, uh, maybe topics you want us to explore in future episodes, um, even if you have some measure of expertise in the area and you'd love to be a guest, we'd love that. You can email me at will at whbc.net or you can email pastors at valleyshepherds.org uh, and we can we can access it there. And um We will see you here next week as we sort of explore part two of theological triage and uh, and church cooperation. We'll see you then. See you later.